Welcome to the Fitness Drifter Podcast. My name is Abby. In this podcast, I try and focus on body confident health, fitness, and wellness for men. So we talk about things like body image, body positivity, eating disorders, diet culture, fat phobia, and how to navigate these and how to have a healthy relationship with food and exercise and look after both our mental and physical health. I'm traveling with work this week, so I'm not in a position where I can do sort of a deep dive into topics like I've done in other episodes. And yes, I do actually have a day job. People do actually pay me to do things, which is, I'm sure, is quite shocking. So I just wanted to keep it a little bit simple both this week and next week. And I'm focusing on a little bit of myth busting. By the way, just a heads up, I cannot say the word myth or myths properly. So I will probably switch to misconceptions, but just for the sake of an episode title, we're going to call it myth busting. So we'll be focusing on just some common fitness myths. There we go. Some common fitness myths and misconceptions and try and break them down and try and explain what the actual truth is. So it's fairly simple. I'm just going to kind of list these off and give an explanation. So let's get straight into it. First of all, let's talk about toning up. There is no such thing as toning up. It's really common for people to say that they don't really need to or want to lose weight and they don't want to bulk up, but they just want to, and I'm using air quotations, they just want to tone up. And what that translates as in terms of actual visual is staying roughly the same size, but with some more muscle definition on them. What you need to remember is that muscles don't tone. Fat doesn't turn into muscle, muscle doesn't turn into fat. Muscles get bigger, smaller, and stronger or weaker. And you can increase or decrease the amount of body fat over them. And that's going to bring out more muscle definition. But there's no such thing as toning. Now, I don't get a lot of compliments about my body. But when I do, they're usually about my toned arms. They're not big. They fit comfortably into sleeves on size small t-shirts. But they do have some definition. And there is a little bit of a sort of bicep peak there. So I, I'm quite happy with the shape and condition of my arms. And it does seem to be the only thing that I really get complimented on. But yeah, I like to think I know what I'm talking about when... People say they want to look toned, but that toned look comes from a combination of two things. Number one is dropping body fat to get leaner. And number two, gaining a little bit of muscle size in the areas that you want that toned appearance. That doesn't mean you have to like bulk up and gain a lot of muscle, just a little bit of muscle growth and losing some body fat over that will get that aesthetic look. The problem with setting toning as a target is that there's no science to it. So you don't technically even know what you're aiming for. But what you do need to do is lose some body fat over that area that you're trying to tone and gain some muscle, usually. The second myth I want to talk about is the idea that weights make you bulky. And, and that just doesn't happen. It, it's a misconception that is more common amongst women, but a lot of men seem to worry about getting, and I'm using air quotations again, too big from lifting weights too. The idea of getting too big from lifting weights or getting bulkier than you want to, it just doesn't happen. You know, for someone to lift weights and accidentally get too big, it's the same as someone going for a walk and accidentally running a marathon. That's not really going to happen. Gaining muscle takes a long time, a lot of hard work and eating a lot. It's not an overnight process. And to even start seeing some signs of gains can take months. And a hugely noticeable difference can even take years. It's very definitely not an overnight process. Despite so many people seeming to think it's possible, I don't think anyone in the history of pretty much ever has gotten too big without intending to get to a certain size. And as someone who has tried and struggled to gain muscle for years, I know that even with perfect genetics, a training plan, nutrition, and maybe even if you're taking steroids, you're unlikely. And when I say unlikely, I mean almost impossible. I'll never say completely, but very, very, very close to impossible to get too big by accident. And the problem is that it puts you off lifting weights or strength training, which is genuinely helpful for health for both men and women. Building strength just kind of helps with day-to-day -day function. It helps get that toned look if that's what you're looking for and your body does need strength to build resilience some studies suggest lifting weights can help boost testosterone in men too and that does deplete as we get older so we want to be doing what we can to you know boost that production so don't be scared of lifting weights it's helpful for your health and it is good for you and even if you don't enjoy it a couple of times a week even 20 30 minutes 
as part of another workout that you do enjoy will still do you some good. So yeah, lifting weights and getting too bulky is just, it doesn't happen. Third myth I'm talking about is the idea of an anabolic window. When I first got into fitness, there was this idea that you had to get 25 or 30 grams of protein in within 30 minutes of a workout to maximize your gains. And that was called the anabolic window. The idea was that your muscles are kind of primed for nutrient absorption and protein is part of building muscle. So yeah, that, that basically be it. You maximize your protein uptake and you maximize your gains, but it's not quite true. I did find a 2013 study suggests that around 30 grams of protein either side of a workout within a total three to four hour window is ideal. But the study itself admitted that findings were inconsistent. And I've included a link to that study if you want to see it. I couldn't find a study that called it absolute scientific fact. And generally from my reading, there seems to be a vague but inconsistent link between post-workout meal timing and muscle gain. But in the context of an overall balanced diet with sufficient protein, the impact is minimal. Let's move on to number four. And that is that carbs make you fat or can cause fat gain. It's become very fashionable, probably since the Atkins diet came out in the early 2000s to demonize carbs and link them with weight gain. There is nothing specifically about carbs that can or would induce your body to start gaining fat. In fact, anecdotally, yes, I know I'm a sample size of one, but the periods in my life where I have been having regular carbs, that doesn't mean excessive, but just sort of as part of a balanced diet, are generally when I've had the most consistent weight loss. So where did this demonization of carbs come from? I'd say there's a few things that kind of combined. First of all, low carb, Atkins or keto, whatever you want to label it as, started to demonize carbs. Carbs do provide your body with glycogen and glycogen stores water, which means that you can end up retaining a little bit more water weight. There's no impact on fat gain specifically from this though. And that's also why when you switch to a low carb diet, you have a very sudden initial weight loss because you've depleted your glycogen and you've lost a lot of water weight. That doesn't mean you've lost body fat from that. And lastly, a lot of the popular foods we tend to overeat. So thinking like baked goods, bread, cereal, pasta, takeaways. So if you have a burger and chips or rice with your Indian or Chinese, you know, they're all carbs. Sugary things, also carbs. And if we stop having these, then we usually tend to end up eating less. And that in turn can, of course, have a knock-on impact and lead to weight loss. But in the context of a balanced diet, you don't need to eliminate carbs for any fitness goal. If you've been told by a doctor, say if you're diabetic, for example, that you need to manage them differently, then that's a completely separate case. But in an otherwise balanced diet with no underlying medical conditions, there's no sort of specific need to eliminate them. It's really just down to personal preference. Number five, spot reduction. The spot reduction is the idea that you can pick or choose a certain area that you want to lose weight from or that you want to lose body fat from, and you can just lose it from there. There's no truth to that. So doing lots of sit-ups and crunches isn't going to make your stomach fat disappear any quicker. There's no way to target specific areas. All you can do is stick to an overall balanced diet and exercise routine that is designed to help you lose fat. And it will start to go from all over your body in whatever order your body decides. People lose fat from different places at different speeds in different orders. In my case, for example, I have fairly lean back and arms, thin face, a moderately lean chest and stomach, and I carry a disproportionately large amount of fat on my lower body. That doesn't mean I'm calling myself fat or shaming myself for it. That just means I know that my body fat percentage is higher if I look at my lower body than it is on my upper body. And everyone is different. I know people who on BMI terms, for example, they're probably overweight or obese, but they have arms and legs that are very slim and their fat is centralized around the abdomen. So kind of like having a beer belly. And it's not entirely random. There is some science to it. Fat cells have two types of receptors, alpha-2 receptors and beta-2 receptors. And in your fat cells, one of those types is going to be dominant. None of these are clinical terms, by the way. I'm just going off of this, basically the articles that kind of dumbed down the studies. But basically, one of those alpha-2 or beta-2 is going to be more dominant in your fat cells in different areas of your body. Alpha-2 receptors encourage storage of fat. Beta-2 receptors encourage usage of stored fat. 
So when you are losing fat, the areas where your fat cells are beta dominant will lose fat first. The alpha dominant areas will take longer. That's why we end up with areas that we call stubborn fat. And that distribution is different for everyone. Number six, you have to sweat to have a good workout. It's really common to associate sweat with hard work and workout intensity and think that if you didn't sweat, you either didn't work hard enough or had a bad workout. That's just not true. I actually remember a interview in a fitness magazine from a uh, TV presenter who she said something like, you know, she doesn't feel like she's had a good workout unless she's absolutely drenched in sweat. And it worries me because she actually has quite a few fitness products out. So, you know, what kind of science or thought is going into that? Sweat is your body's reaction to feeling overheated. Yes, sweating more can be a sign that you are working harder. It can also just be a sign that your body is heating up more and trying to cool down. I don't sweat much doing weights or yoga or walking. I usually need to be doing a consistent five or 10 minutes of moderate to high intensity cardio before I even start to sweat. That doesn't mean I'm being lazy with weights or yoga. It's just not heating my body up in that same way. And I am still working hard. It's just where my body doesn't need to heat up that much for it. If I compare the amount I sweat during like a weights or weights workout or yoga, I sweat less doing that than I do sitting outside in the sun in, you know, when it's really warm out or really humid out. But I think you can tell which one I'm working harder. Number seven, no such thing as a bad workout. Or I think on Instagram, this is commonly called the only bad workout is the one you didn't do. It's one of the absolute worst motivational mantras or sayings that that's out there. There are bad workouts that you can do. The ones that you force yourself to do when you're already feeling burnt out. The ones you're not sure how to do safely or can't do safely and risk injuring yourself. The ones you do when you've got niggles or injuries and force yourself to power through because you feel like you shamed yourself into it. The ones you do that you get no joy or fulfillment from that can damage an already 10 years to relationship with exercise and actually put you off from exercising in the future. The ones where you feel guilty because of something you ate and you feel like you have to do something to burn it off. So yeah, none of these come from a positive place and there are plenty of bad workouts out there. Number eight, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. This is absolutely 100% marketing hype that started in the US. I couldn't find like an exact, you know, step-by-step -step chain to how this happened. But my reading suggests that while people did it in the morning, it wasn't a set structured thing that had to be had. It started to get importance with farmers in the US because chickens lay eggs in the morning. Eggs are easy and quick to prepare. Eggs became a breakfast food and kind of got a big push from that. As people moved to working in offices and became more desk-based, worries about indigestion and the discomfort from eating a bigger breakfast led us down the road to cereal and a certain chap named John Harvey Kellogg. Although, ironically, the cereal brand Kellogg's was made famous by his brother. And then since then, it was mainly marketing money. Around the time I really got into fitness, breakfast was being pushed as helping with weight loss because the idea was that it stops you snacking until lunchtime, allegedly. If you're on a commute or you're starting work early or you're training early, then it does make sense to fuel yourself properly. But plenty of people also don't eat breakfast and it's not having an impact on their weight or on their health. I personally, especially since I started working from home, very rarely hungry in the morning and don't eat anything until 10 or 10.30 in the morning most days. I've done intermittent fasting before where I didn't eat until 12 and it didn't cause me any issues. In fact, I had pretty consistent weight loss during that. Meal timing has a fairly small part to play in your overall health. Your overall diet and making it fit into your lifestyle is probably more important. Number nine is the idea that low calorie is better. Calling low calorie better or guilt-free or sin-free automatically assumes that everyone needs to be losing weight and that calories are the only thing that matter. For a fat loss goal, a low calorie food might be easier to fit into your eating plan. That doesn't mean it'll taste better or have any other actual nutritional benefits. In fact, there are counter arguments as well. You're more likely to overeat foods that you think are, and I'm using air quotations again, they're more likely to overeat foods that you think are good for you. And it's also common that the low calorie version of things don't taste as good. So you end up eating more to try and get that same sort of satisfaction as if you just had the sort of 
normal or full calorie version. So lower calorie and lower fat versions of things do have their uses in some cases, but that doesn't mean they're better. The only exception I'm going to make is Pepsi Max, because to be honest, for me, that counts as pretty much any other soft drink out there. Number 10, fat burning workouts. There is no such thing as a fat burning workout. All workouts and pretty much all movements burn calories. When you burn off more calories than you've been consuming, your body will dip into stored fat reserves for that. Some workouts burn more calories than others. Some training styles are also more likely to result in a higher calorie burn, but there's no workout that, you know, suddenly flicks a magic switch and compared to your other workouts, you're suddenly burning fat. Number 11, you need to keep changing your workouts to keep your muscles guessing or muscle confusion. It's a pretty common myth. When you start something new, it's common to make progress really quickly early on. And as you sort of settle in, that rate of improvement starts to slow down and it can get a bit demoralizing. So for some reason, it's become common to assume that you need to change your workout as soon as that happens. Generally, no. If you change your workout, all that happens is you go through that rapid early progress on something else before hitting the same kind of wall. Changing your workout now and then to keep it fresh and keep you mentally engaged is different and it's definitely worth doing. Same as taking breaks from things now and then and sometimes stepping back and, and sometimes stepping away from something when your progress is stalling. It does give you sort of renewed energy or fresh perspective to come back to it. But you don't need to get fancy and overhaul your training plan entirely for that. Personally speaking, all of my best progress and periods of sustained results have come from consistency and sticking to the same few fundamental exercises. I take deload weeks, I take rest weeks, and occasionally I'll change the sets and reps just to mix things up. But it's strategic and it's planned, and it's usually after a prolonged period of hitting the same wall or not making progress. It's not just some bizarre attempt to confuse my muscles. Also, if you bear in mind that your muscles don't technically know what weight you're lifting or the exact exercise you're doing, they don't have their own brains like that, it makes even less sense. And number 12, and last one for this episode, is that if you're not sore, you didn't train hard enough. When you're new, it's pretty common to feel sore after almost every workout. You feel like it's a sign of hard work, and it definitely is. As your body adapts and you get more used to needing to recover from exercise, that level of soreness starts to go away because your, your body's more used to that recovery process. That soreness, or DOMS, also known as delayed onset muscle soreness, is your body recovering. During exercise, your muscles get micro damage or micro tears. The soreness is your body recovering, repairing that, and hopefully building you back a little bit stronger. It's an inflammatory process, and that's what causes pain. As you get more exercise experience, your body adapts, and this process doesn't cause as much soreness. But for some reason, we still think we need to feel sore after every workout to feel like we've worked hard, and it's just not true. What you want to focus on is making progress, the effort you're putting in in your workout, safe technique, that you're happy, that you're enjoying what you're doing, and you're all set. So that's it for this episode. I'll be back next week with some more fitness myths. If you have any questions, please do feel free to get in touch on the website, fitnessdrifter.com. You can also reach me on Instagram, on Twitter, on TikTok. My username is fitnessdrifter, all one word on all of those. If you have any ideas for anything that you want me to cover in future episodes, again, please do let me know. I've started doing more videos on YouTube again, so please do check that out. You can find us on fitnessdrifter.com slash YouTube. It'll direct you to the channel. And uh, yeah, if you enjoyed this episode, please do remember to subscribe, leave a review, hit like, share it with your friends, do what you need to do, and let's get the word out.